You guys ready for... Yeah, we'll get into all that, Marcia. Don't worry. Don't worry. So off of that, we are only three weeks away from finishing the Sermon on the Mount, which we started back in February. But we're going to take a brief hiatus this week to look at something else. Okay? And we're going to start with some depth. So I hope you guys are ready because we're going to look at, you're going to listen to a layman try to explain neurology, the study of the brain. All right, so what is the most important and powerful part of the human body? It's pretty easy, right? The brain. Your brain is what controls your body. It continually receives information from every other part of you and the world around you and then tells your body what it should do next. God designed your brain to be the supercomputer that allows you to be you. Scientists used to believe that it was hardwired that it was programmed in its developmental stages, and then it was very unlikely that it could be changed. But in the last few decades, due to technology, neurologists have discovered the plasticity of the brain. Instead of seeing it as concrete, they now see it as plastic. Neuroplasticity is defined as the brain is malleable and adaptable, changing moment by moment of every day. Now, a major indicator of this is the way that the brain can heal itself. Patient after patient suffering from brain injuries, myself included, have watched their brains continually improve with no surgery, just simply on their own. Even if the brain is unable to bring cells back to life, it creates new pathways around the scar tissue. So that way the individual can continue to do what they used to do. That's actually my brain right there. Doctors have found that the brains can heal themselves for up to seven years after traumatic injury. God has given our brains the ability to do such incredible things. And the brain does far more than just control your body, our body and our organs. It also houses our mind and our emotions. Thoughts and feelings flow through our physical brain. Memories and habits, both conscious and subconscious, are also stored there. Our brain contains what the Bible refers to as our heart. I say this over and over, but the heart is defined in both the Greek and in the Hebrew as our mind, our emotions, and our willpower. In recent years, leading neurologists have found that our thoughts have remarkable power to change the landscape of our physical brain, your actual brain. In the same way that our brain has the ability to heal, it also has the ability to be changed by the way a person thinks, both positively and negatively. Let me read you a quote from a book that I kind of got a lot of this from. It's called Switch on Your Brain by a uh, neurology scientist, Dr. Carol Leaf. We are constantly reacting to circumstances and events. And as this cycle goes on, our brains become shaped by the process in either a positive good quality of life direction or a negative, toxic, poor quality of life direction. So it is the quality of our thinking and our choices and our reactions to our circumstances that determine our brain architecture, the shape or design of the brain and the resultant quality of our health, of our minds and our bodies. Don't worry, we're not going to stay in this too much longer. Just keep... Keep hanging on to me, though. This is kind of a lead into where we're going. The landscape of our brain has direct effects on your future thoughts, habits, and your choices. 
Remember, the brain is your supercomputer. Out of the way in which it is structured, you function. Now, all of this means that God has given you so much control over the quality of your life. Through your thoughts, your emotion, and your willpower, your heart, much of your life is determined. Now, let's move away from neurology and into theology for me to show you where, how this is backed up by the Bible. How much of God's goodness is based on your choices? That's the question that I hope you walk away with tonight. How much of, your, of God's goodness in your life is based on your choices? Now, in my opinion, the entire Bible clearly demonstrates and declares that on a spiritual level, a person is saved by grace and grace alone. Let's look at three different verses. Genesis 15, talking about Abraham. And he believed. That's all he had to do. And the Lord reckoned, to hit, reckoned it to him as righteousness, perfection, atoned. Get into Paul's writing. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Calls. That's it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. This means that we have nothing to do. We have to do nothing for our souls or our spirits, the internal component of humanity, to be made pure and reconnected to our creator, except believe that the God of the Bible is real and call out to him to be saved from our own brokenness. When we do this and experience his total redemption, we are seated with Jesus in heavenly places, God's kingdom. From this spot, God is able to justly show us his loving kindness in the eternity that follows this life. Ephesians 2. I'm just continually pointing you to the Bible. These aren't my thoughts. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Apart from one's own desire to reject this redemption and the God that brought it about, this is unchanging. No matter what a person does, their their purity before God remains untainted and their eternal salvation is unwavering. This is incredible. If you think about who God is and how broken we are, the fact that we can do nothing to sin our way out of his grace. But the amount of God's goodness that we are able to experience this side of heaven is largely dependent on our choices. We were created with free will. The ability to choose who or what we are going to trust to get the life that we desire. This is how our souls are redeemed. Through our choice to trust God to heal our brokenness, on a spiritual level, we are then saved. But this is also how our day-to-day lives are made whole or remain broken. So as Moses is about to leave the Israelites and send them off into the promised land, he gives them this challenge. Deuteronomy 30. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. This is the same choice that we have day after day. When we intentionally choose to trust God to bring us what we cannot bring to ourselves, we are able to more fully live the life we want. We get to experience selfless love. 
lasting joy, unwavering peace. We get to feel this illogical form of patience and kindness, goodness towards others, faithfulness to the people that we want to be faithful to, gentleness man, and self-control, even though every part in us does not want to say no. Paul describes those nine things as the fruits of the Spirit. That means they come from God. Now, using that same analogy of fruit, in order to bear fruit, what must a tree do? Be continually exposed to sunshine and water. If it only allows itself to receive these crucial elements once a week or once a month, then it may still survive, but it will not live the way that it was designed to live, to bear fruit. The same is true for us. If you cried out to Jesus, then you are eternally alive. But if you stopped with that, then you won't be able to experience what God designed you to experience. Even if you go to church every week, if you see that as enough, then you are choosing to limit your experience of the almighty maker of everything. Let me give you another analogy. We work out because we desire our bodies to be in better shape, right? Physical shape or to do some sort of activity. Now, if we get a membership to a gym, does that bring us what we want? No. no. It gives a person access to the gym, but does it change their body? If we go once a month, does that bring us what we want? I guess it depends on how low your expectations are, <laughs> right? If we go for one hour a week, does that give us what we want? I hope you're Understanding the connection I'm making. Each time we go, we reap the benefits of, working, of what working out can bring. But if we want to receive those benefits to the fullest, how often should a person go? Three, four, five, six days a week, right? On a regular basis. Now, it's the same way with one's relationship with God. Now, belief that Jesus is the Son of God sent to die a sacrificial death for your rebellion brings one complete and total access to their creator, right? Kind of like going to the gym. Hebrews 4 states this. Since then, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is in every respect been tested as we are, yet without sin. Here's our access. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that way we may receive mercy and find grace in, in, to help in time of need. It's amazing. But... Much of the grace, God's undeserved favor that we experience in our day-to-day -day life comes based on our desire to receive it. In the same way that you get the body that your spouse wants you to have, in order to receive more and more of God's goodness in the here and now, you must intentionally seek him. Did you hear what I just said? I didn't say that in order to receive God's goodness, you must obey his rules although that definitely helps. Rather, in order to have God's blessing poured out on you more and more, you must seek him. He is the source of all life. Now, our creator is a relational being. Even before he made humanity, he operated in community. 
with Jesus and with the Spirit. God made us so that way we could have a relationship with him, not be his slaves or his peons that run and hide whenever he comes near. Now, the most common word that Jesus used to refer to God, any guesses? Father. It is also the way that he taught his disciples to refer to our God, our Father. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus refers to the maker of everything as Father over 165 times. That means that we were created for a direct and intimate relationship with our Creator. It is out of your relationship with Him that goodness, His goodness, flows into your life. If you have cried out for Him to save you from your brokenness, then you have been adopted as His child. Ephesians 1. I've got a lot of it out of there, so... Go there tonight. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. That's capitalized. That's Jesus. Now, this is a profound thing to think about. The one who made you and everything else you know, he sees you as a child. But for any parent-child relationship, the depth of the relationship depends on the amount of interactions they have with each other. Does it not? Imagine the most likely style of relationship if the child only called out to his parent during holidays or when things got rough. Even if the parent's love for the child was unwavering, the child would refuse, receive so few of the benefits of that relationship because of his or her choice to remain distant and detached from their parent. Now, if the child, however, would reach out to their parent on a regular basis, spend, th- spend time and do things with them, their parent would be able to encourage, support, and guide them in whatever circumstances they happen to be in, both good and bad. When a parent becomes one of the child's priorities, the benefits that the kid received are exponential. I hope you're using these analogies to help you better understand what I'm talking about with our relationship with God. Because the same is true for you and your creator. His love for you is unconditional and unwavering. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, just read it all. You'll see who the God of the universe is. But if you want him to encourage, support, and guide you throughout all of life's craziness, then you must intentionally make him one of your priorities. Now, I know our relationship with God is a bit different than our relationship with a physical person. We cannot see God. Most of, them do not, most of us do not audibly hear from him. We can't just schedule a tea time or coffee. But do you believe he is real? The evidence of his existence is so great. Whether it's scientific, experiential, or philosophical, there seems to be endless proof that God is real. If you want to talk more apologetics, please come and talk to me. This means, the fact that God is real, this means that you can interact with him, that you have the ability to connect with him, to be encouraged, supported, and guided by the God of the universe. But so much of this connection and all the goodness that it brings to us comes down to our desire for him to be a priority in our day-to-day lives. 
Now, a major way to make somebody a priority is by setting aside time to spend with them. Now, time is, in my opinion, the most valuable thing that we have, far more precious than money. When you give somebody your time, it is tangible proof that they are important to you. Now, the Bible is full of examples of God getting people's time, and Jesus is that prime example. Now, Jesus is God himself. He came to humanity to accomplish God's wills. It does not seem that he would need to, it seems that he would be able to function on autopilot, doing what he and his father had decided to do before the creation of the world. But when you read through the Gospels with this lens, it becomes very apparent that in order for Jesus to remain dependent on God and his will, he needed to continually set apart time with God in order to receive his encouragement, his support, and his direction. Here's a bunch of examples. But now, more than ever, the word about Jesus spread. Many crowds would gather to hear him and be cured of his diseases, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. Now, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he went away to pray so that way he could understand what God's will was for his life in that moment. Now, if this was a necessity for Jesus, then it needs to be a necessity for us. If you want to live the abundant life that Jesus promised you, if you want to have purpose and contentment, which brings us lasting peace and joy, then you need to intentionally give your time to God. If you want God-given direction for the choices that lay before you, then you need to intentionally give your time to God. If you want strength to overcome hard times, then you need to intentionally give your time to God. Tomorrow, we, Rimrock as a whole, both campuses, are starting what's becoming an annual collective approach in intentionally making God our priority. We've labeled it 21 intentional days. Now, the idea is to commit for three weeks to specific ways that demonstrate that your creator is one of your priorities. This can be through time set apart every day in order to pray to bring your request to God, to spend time meditating on his goodness. It can be a time where you also study the Bible, to set apart in order to seek him. Now, fasting is also a powerful tool that elevates God above your basic needs. I know fasting is scary, but it's simply replacing a normal part of your life with an intentional seeking of God. Now, traditionally, biblically, it's food. Replacing a meal or day's worth of meals with prayer and a physical and mental dependence on God. And it can be so powerful. But fasting can also be with alcohol or sex or screen time. Fasting is a tangible way to show God and yourself that he is more important than one of your most basic needs. You could also make God your priority through being generous or serving others. 
Put $10, $20, $100, whatever you have in your wallet or in your purse and give it to God each morning. God, this is yours. Show me where you want me to use that. When you see somebody around you or you feel that inkling, you say, all right, God, is this the one? And then you obey and you do it again the next day. Right? You can also serve other people. Right? Ask God, is there anybody in my life that I can help in some way? Cook a meal, paint their garage, do something to show them a selfless form of love. You can get plugged in with a cornerstone, Love, Inc., right? or maybe there's just people in your life. But it's this intentionality of, of giving your time to demonstrate God's love through serving other people. The idea of 21 intentional days is to commit for just three weeks elevating God in your life through specific, tangible ways. Now, the reason we do it together is because of the power of numbers. Through mob mentality, more of us get excited and are encouraged to follow through on our commitment. You know, with this, like Marsha had mentioned before, we're going to be meeting down here Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 7, to pray. There's something about getting together with other believers to pray that is just brings more influence on your own mind and just the power of prayer that can come from that. We'll also be having a night of worship when we're all done with that, and we'll let you know more about that when it gets closer. But even more so, by doing this collectively, if all of Rimrock intentionally made God their priority, then imagine the amount of God's goodness that would be poured out upon this city. It's like a thousand people making God their priority for three weeks. Imagine the ripple effects that would come from that. All right, as I finish up, let's go back to the brain, where we started. Now, every day, your brain is producing new brain cells. That means every day, you are choosing to reform your brain and consequently your life in either healthy or unhealthy ways based on what you are thinking about. By committing to intentionally seek the fountain of life in specific ways, your physical brain, along with your thoughts, emotions, and your willpower, will be slowly shaped into the way that God desires it to be. Romans 12, 1 and 2, one of my favorite verses. Is it on there? I should have a memory. Thanks, Seth. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And the more I learn about the brain, I just wonder how much he's talking about, like, the physical brain. He didn't know this, but the spirit through him. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what, the will, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, if you have chosen to believe in the God of the Bible, then the natural ability of your brain, the power that it has, is exponentially increased by God himself, who now resides in your heart, your mind, your emotions, your willpower. Now, the spiritual disciplines like prayer, meditation, study, fasting, generosity, serving, right? And there's more. They're not done to change your reputation or your physical body. They are done to change your mind or your heart. When you choose to do any of them, they grab a hold of your thoughts and they force your mind to focus on God. 
which then gives the spirit more opportunity to lead you into truth. I show this verse probably every other week, but Jesus' description of the Holy Spirit, because I want you to know who he is. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things to come. When you focus your mind on God for an extended period of time, your physical brain is renewed. Out of this can come incredible changes to your life. Let me give you a quick example. So 10 years ago now, I did 21 days of prayer and fasting in a church in Hawaii where we were living. And I had like intermittent fasting and just prayed every morning down with a group. And one of my intentions during that that 21 days was for God to, one, give me direction, but more so to free me from an addiction that I had to getting high, smoking weed. At the end of that 21 days, through God's direct interaction in my life, and as I'm learning the way that he designed my brain to be plastic, a 13-year addiction was fully obliterated from my life. Like prior to that, mouth-watering cravings. After that, not once since. Literally, 21 days, God reformed my brain. And I'm not saying this is a guarantee, but it can happen. God is that powerful, and he has created our brains to be renewed, to be more like he had designed us to be. Now, God wants your life to be better here and now in so many different ways. He did not create you to simply get by or to continually suffer on this side of heaven. He designed your brain to be renewed day after day so that way you could experience more of his goodness now. If you want more of what only your creator can bring, make seeking him one of your priorities. Now to end, I want to read Psalm 63. Is that right? I think so. Just eight verses. Just David can be such a, a model for how we should seek God. God You are my God, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Let's worship God through song.